Hello again, and welcome to the Red Dwarf intro cast, where newbies and longtime fans journey into the darkest, deepest reaches of space to talk about Red Dwarf. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about Season 5, Episode 3, Terror Form. And my name is Heath. I'm Angela. I'm Shane. Um, and I'm Rosie. Hello, Rosie. Hello, Hello. Rosie. <laughs> Hello. Well, sadly, Paul is away again this week. Um, he's having some technical problems, but we're going to get him fixed up eventually. Yes. Um, so, before we talk about this week's episode, let's get to know Rosie. Uh, if you would like to tell folks where you're from and your history with Red Dwarf and anywhere else on the interwebs where one might encounter you. Okay. Uh, well, at the moment, I'm living in Lancashire. Um, I encountered Red Dwarf when I was about nine or ten, Um and I've just been a fan ever since. Um, as I said before, never seen Star Wars, Star Trek, or Doctor Who, so might be a little bit wow. lost on some of your references. But... I know. What have you been <laughs> watching? <laughs> but I am a massive Harry Potter nerd, if that helps. Okay. <laughs> it does. You are vindicated a bit. Uh, okay. <laughs> Good. So... Yeah, that's me. <laughs> just got just got a question, Rosie. Have uh-huh. you watched Buffy? Um, I have possibly seen half an episode. Oh, wow. <laughs> I know. Firefly? No. All right. Do you know so, what? Yeah, I, be... I I just really love audio. So, I've I'm a big fan of um the Red Dwarf audiobooks. Hmm. And I used to tape them onto cassette when I was little and listened to them. <laughs> so Aww. I, yeah, big fan of audio, but don't really sit down much and watch TV. So, as I say, references might be lost on me. <laughs> I like audiobooks, so I haven't, I don't get to listen to them as much as I used to when I had a crazy long, like, hour-long commute back and forth to work. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, audiobooks are fun. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually, reason. people tell me that, um, the eighth doctor in doctor who after a, a tragic tragic movie uh that that the actor performed as the eighth doctor in, in several audiobooks and and made a very good showing and and i like the actor quite well even though i hated the movie so was that i may have to look into some of those who is that, they that are, they paul, are excellent. Uh, paul, paul mcgann paul mcgann they are excellent yeah yeah he so only anyway, did that well, one awful awful movie where yeah. they decided to rip off Terminator 2 and... <laughs> right? <laughs> and took out the seventh Doctor in a way completely oh. unworthy of the character. Uh, uncalled for. <laughs> Poor Sylvester McCoy. <laughs> but um, that's Doctor Who, and we'll be talking about Doctor Who later on in this podcast. Okay, but first, good. Red Dwarf. <laughs> <laughs> Red Dwarf. So, uh, good good to have you with us, Rosie. Thank you. Um <laughs> Shane, you want to uh, lay on the synopsis of the terror form. When Rimmer and Croton land on a Psy moon, the land reshapes itself into Rimmer's psyche. It creates monsters out of aspects of Rimmer's personality, and he, is un- and he seems to be destined to suffer at the hands of the unspeakable one. Croton, Cat, and Lister arrive to rescue him, but their b- bazookas are useless. The monster only withdraws when Crichton describes Rimmer as part of the crew. But the moon won't give up on Rimmer so easily and drags Dogberg Dane into quicksand. Only by boosting Rimmer's self-esteem can they be saved. But can Crichton, Cat and Lister really swallow their pride and say with a straight face that they love Rimmer? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that was a fun episode. Um... So, we get some interesting information in this episode. We start out with Crushed Crichton, um, seeing things through his point of view. Uh, Which we said would happen at some point. Oh yeah, yeah, Crichton Cam. Uh, which is also a preview shot, several preview shots in this one. Tortured mm-hmm. Rimmer and Monster and mm-hmm. Crichton Cam, uh, Lister repairing him. Um, but yeah, we really enjoyed uh, his... The color codes of his damage states in the bottom of, of his screen there. Yeah, we kept saying, oh, it's Tangerine now. Oh, it's Mauve. <laughs> Condition Mauve. Um, 
So uh, one of the questions I had, which y'all probably can't answer, it says I can't connect to the server. What server does Crichton connect to? Typically, we think of a server as something that's external that a computer connects with to get networked information. So is he always connected to the Red Dwarf server? Is he still connected somehow to the... Um, Oh, what's the company that made him again? The Diva Droid Foundation server? Or is this an in- internal server? I don't know. But he can't connect to it. We do see that his copyright is 2340. So, that... Um, timeline. Definitively, it's... Yes. <laughs> we, we have some semblance of a timeline now. That means that Crichton is, in fact, almost 3 million years old. Um, that's old. For, for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> diva droids they or make so them to last hard. but that still it causes some trouble though because okay the red dwarf crew died of radiation i didn't get the idea though that they were instantly vaporized into dust just that they all died um and had turned to dust over the passing of time no i think they were vaporized mm. i think they immediately oh, okay they were <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, okay so. well that's Okay, good. Well, that fixes that thing. <laughs> okay. Because I was going to say that if those skeletons were three million odd years old, that's really old for skeletons. Uh, they they really shouldn't still be skeletons. So, there you go. Well, they they were in a contained atmosphere. I guess. With well, we've talked about the amazing preservation technology that Earth <laughs> has found. <laughs> I considering guess. that their irradiated haggis is still <laughs> hanging around. Yeah, but they weren't they weren't in irradiated haggis containers. They were Okay, well, nonetheless. So we do have a timeline at least. We know that Crichton is three million minus two hundred years old, give or take. Um let's see, condition move. Uh, he's having trouble with his short term memory. <laughs> and uh, he's also having trouble with his short term memory. Um, he is. He's what? Uh, having trouble with, with something. <laughs> um, really cool looking scenes, though, when he's trying to repair himself. He looks like a Terminator. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's, that scene was actually shot inside. Hmm. Um, basically, he was the actor was <coughs> put up to his waist in dirt, mm-hmm. and his legs come under, from underneath, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So he's so he's so the dirt was up to his waist. His legs were underneath the dirt, and in front of him he had a pair of folks' legs. Mm. Uh, let's see. Then he has to get a handyman to fix him. <laughs> 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 Handy, because <laughs> spider hands. <laughs> <laughs> of, I like the thing ever. <laughs> Yeah, three of those were made. Yeah, I noticed because, yeah, one was, um, again, just somebody's hand coming up from the dirt, going up and down, and then they kept the wrist off screen. Two, they made what looked like a wind-up toy to crawl over his chest. And what was the third kind, then? No, actually, no. Um, One was um, when he put CI on. Right. Was literally just a model. Okay. The second one was actually a puppet. Right, yeah, that's, yeah. And the third, as I said, you, well, you're almost right when you say wind-up toy. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it was walking across, the, when it's walking into the corridor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Okay. You know that they totally need to sell that. I, w- I would buy one of those to keep mm. on my desk. Even if it was just a wind-up toy, that look, looked cool. Okay, I've got to ask. Someone in the Facebook group mentioned that the director, like, got in trouble during this scene, or...? Yes. Um, basically, the director and Juliet May is an absolutely talented director. But this was her first taste of sci-fi. Mm-hmm. And she was trying to point put the point of view shot, quite a POV, and she was trying to point that from the chest camera. Because you know, Crichton's got yeah. that uh, thing in his chest. And mm-hmm. she was pointing the camera there looking up. And mm. Craig Charles says, no, it can't go there. It has to go on his... The point of view has to go up, you know, from his face. Then, it's, then, yeah. then it was dawn 
and every, it dawned on everybody that um, she didn't understand what POV sta- uh, stood for. Oops. Well, there you go. Mm. But we'll get into the, uh, the wonderful world of Juliet May in a future episode, because there's a lot more to that story. Hmm. Okay, let's see. Um, I did like that, apparently, Lister is more or less able to fix Crichton. Mm-hmm. Uh, once, once the hand. Okay, well, we no, but before You're we get to that, though, we've got to talk. Absolute best. Yes, scene we have to talk about the episode. The cat and Lister, cat and Lister versus the spider. <laughs> I am yeah, impressed that they can type one-handed that <laughs> completely without typos that quickly. Like kudos well, I, to them. I don't think that they were actually typing, but yeah. Well, sorry, <laughs> I've just jumped in again. Uh, no, when no. I went on um, Wikipedia, one of the corrections was that oh, that the typing didn't match what was coming up on screen, and I thought, oh, you know, no crap. <laughs> you can see <laughs> one hand just going, and yeah. So yeah, apparently that's one of the non. Oh, Shane, you say it. Continuity, no. Is Con- that continuity errors? <laughs> yes, continuity errors, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, so. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it was a special effect, but, you know, in-universe, I can believe that um, keyboard literacy would have advanced to the point where people could, you know, learn from a young age to type like that, with one hand, maybe. With one yes, hand, so. and looking completely nonplussed. <laughs> <laughs> You can tell I've been doing way too much reading for my classes lately. In the new literacy, when people leverage their skills, to, you know, <laughs> uh, digital media. But they still don't know how to, have, how to spell tarantula. Yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. I, I would react the same way. No, no spiders. Mm-mm. What's wrong with spiders? They're awful. They're, They're lovely. The How are they lovely? All those legs and creepy little things. Okay. 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 They are what usually about two centimeters across. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but what this one ra- had the eye, the eye the size of a meatball. <laughs> what, what would you rather have? That little thing, or a spider which is twenty feet long, with trees as long as legs. Sorry, tree, uh, legs as long as trees even. I could avoid those. Why? The why military you... could take those out. People could tame those. You, you can't control little spiders that are going to crawl up on your face while you're sleeping. Why, why are we forcing this comparison? <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't like spiders. Well, would you like them if they were 20 feet long? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm just saying that they're poor defenseless creatures and they're so tiny they're insignificant. They're so, not defenseless. But they're frightening but... because they're so small. And yes, <laughs> if they were bigger, yeah, yeah, they wouldn't work. Yeah, way. after all, they're tiny things, but they make their homes in uh, king's castles. Um, mm-hmm. And but... plus, we're living in an area that has like the black widow spider and. <laughs> And brown recluse. And brown recluse. So but at least we're not in Australia. Oh, true. And then there are Which like I... the wolf spiders and the box spiders and the ones that will like attack you <laughs> for just yeah. being around. Their bites aren't nearly as dangerous, but they look, you know, well, they're tiny and they're furry and they will jump at you, mm-hmm. which is just creepy. Oh, well, I think we're lucky in that respect. <laughs> <laughs> But, <laughs> yeah, at least we're not in Australia, which I think God made Australia is just a bit of a joke. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like here you go. I'm going to put all of the deadliest creatures that I have invented right here, and you just try to live there. Let's watch. <laughs> it's like a reality show. Just, just, no, just, I'm, I'm, ju- I'm joking, say, of course. Just a quickie. Uh, Darren, if you want to send all your hate mail to Heath, <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. Oh, Darren. Darren knows I'm joking. No, I'll I, probably say, I, no, it's a fair cop. <laughs> I, I admire the diversity of wildlife in Australia, and I would like to admire it from a distance so that it doesn't kill me. Um, 
Now, actually, we owe Darren some thanks because he found an answer to me for something that will come up later. We'll talk about mm-hmm. that. Um, let's see. We're on Australian spiders. Okay, yes. Yeah, the hand spider. Yeah. Uh, with its eye as big as a meatball. So eventually it uh, gets their attention after making its mm. nest. In, uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. That scene, mm-hmm. and, that, sorry, uh, that entire scene was actually pre-recorded. Figured. Mm. Um, oh, yeah. Basically, uh, Juliet, Juliet May, director, decided to um, shoot the scene, then then edited the scene so it could be played to the studio audience on the note recording so they could get a laugh track. Nice. Um, however, it come, she edited it. It come back awful. Oh. So, Doug Naylor uh, decided it needed a drastic re-edit and spent most of the rest of the day in the editing suite fixing it. Hmm. Well, that's a bummer. But it it turned out well. Um, let's see. Yes, so, they go to save Crichton. And, uh, fix him up, minus a few parts. (laughs) I think I figured out what... Sorry. Not going to say quotes. I know, there's so many quotes in this one. Um, but still, I do like the idea that Lister... You know, he he was a mechanic, so he can at least fix Crichton well enough. And uh, the planet, uh, Angela pointed this out while we were watching it, but yeah, it's uh, it's Dagobah. Yep. Um, for weird people who haven't seen Star Wars, <laughs> uh, that's the planet where Yoda lives in Empire Strikes Back. Had, it's a sort I've of scary of, swamp I've heard planet. Of Yoda. Okay, yeah, yeah, he's... <laughs> Little little green Jedi Master guy, and they find him on this weird swamp-like planet. He sells mo- mo- mobile phones. He sells. <laughs> yes, what? he does. Yeah, he does. <laughs> what? They've. Uh, oh, is there an ad campaign for uh, cell phones with yeah. Yoda? There is, yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I'm not aware of this. Oh. Uh, and plus, and Lister has fixed Crichton before, of course. So. Yeah, I thought that that Rimmer was the main person in charge of that, though. But didn't did I, am I remembering that wrong? Didn't Lister pick him up off the planet and fix him when he went off on the space bike? Was that? Am I right, Shay? You, you are right. Yes, you are. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you are right. I I thought that it, I thought that Rimmer oversaw his repairs. I thought, yeah, that's cool. Hmm. Yeah. So. Sweet. Which can do it. Then it doesn't make sense that. Hmm. That Crichton wouldn't trust him later. Well, yeah. But then again, is continuity really that important? Oh, um, I will <laughs> say, uh, I, I, I glanced over this earlier, but no, Holly got a decent presence in this episode. She did. She got a whole scene to talk about the spider and whatnot, and, and she pops up here and there. Um, so more Holly. Yay. <laughs> yep. Still, sort of not, not enough, not. and yeah, and no, I, I, I'm worried that I'm going to give spoilers. So, I will. <laughs> oh, but yes, there was, <laughs> not enough certainly. Talking of Holly, there was one scene, and I didn't write it down, but there was a close-up of her, and her hair looked absolutely awful. I didn't really notice. Hmm? Um. <laughs> I can't. Mm. I honestly can't remember. I should have wrote it down, and I didn't. But I, I was watching it, and loose ends everywhere. It looks awful. Maybe it was. Um, was it that first scene where, where it was the middle of the night, and she was waking Lister up because maybe they did that to show that she was sleeping, mm-hmm. even though she was. Well, I, I'm thought. I'm sure it was later than that, actually. Oh, okay. I don't know then. Well. But we find out, uh, thanks to Crichton Exposition, as usual, uh, that the planet is a psi moon that it's readapting itself to Rimmer's subconscious. Which, again, I love that um, that apparently holograms, which are light bees that project light, can still somehow have yeah. psychic uh, connections to all of these weird creatures in the Red Dwarf universe. Well, again, like, yeah, yeah, they've done this before, so they didn't really have to explain it much. 
Now, the Psy Moon creating a physical presence for him, like, created a body for him, that that was a bit more than I was trying really to I had, I had less trouble with that than I did. The, like, why didn't it pick, why didn't it uh, form to Crichton's consciousness? I mean, isn't Rimmer essentially a robot as much as Crichton is? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the, the thing with that is, um, Crichton, as I said, is a robot, but Rimmer was a, is a, a hologram, but he, a, an actual hologram based on a human being. Racist. Yeah. Sorry? <laughs> <laughs> Biocentric much? <laughs> so, um, Just, um, so I thought it yeah. might make more logical sense for the planet to go for Maybe so. Yeah, maybe his thoughts were more in a more humanoid biological yeah. pattern, even though they weren't, mm. so it picked him. Okay, I'll buy that. It has been accounted um, for. Alright. It has been accounted for. Pretty much. So then, uh, we get to see Rimmer's neuroses personified. Uh, at first they look a lot like Jawas, which for those of you who haven't seen Star Wars, <laughs> are weird little guys in hooded cloaks that live on Tatooine and scavenge things. Uh, and all you can see is their glowing eyes. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, well, I have a note on that. Un- oh, hit it. Unconvincing red eyes, Max wrote down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, that's that's how Rimmer described them. Oh, right. Uh, yeah, but I, I assumed that was uh, a reference to something I'd never heard of. Yeah, just, this episode was a lot of references. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Well, I might have picked the wrong one. <laughs> oh, no. no that's fine. <laughs> but, yeah. So, let's see. Uh, he's getting carried off. He has the weirdest wreath on his head that I've ever seen. Like, apparently, mm-hmm. you know, I can see that they're trying to go with martyrdom, messianic mm-hmm. imagery here, like crown of thorns, but that's not a crown of thorns. That's like a magnolia bush on his head. I don't know. Yeah, it looked it like magnolias looked... to me. And then he gets chained up and oiled up. By people dressed as Slave Leia. Which, for those of you who haven't seen Star Wars, <laughs> in Return of the Jedi, uh, Princess Leia is uh, captured by a big slimy critter named Jabba the Hutt and forced to wear a very revealing bikini, which will be celebrated at sci-fi conventions everywhere for decades to come as women yes. enjoy uh, slutting it up by dressing as Slave Leia. So there you go. Oh. <laughs> hey. <laughs> One of the- yeah, I said it. <laughs> <laughs> you did. You did. Uh, One of the two women who played the handmaidens was Sarah Stockbridge, a leading model for Vivian Westwood at the time, whose arrival created a little fr- frisson on set. Hmm. Um, but Chris Barry couldn't afford to be too distracted because he had to deliver a lot of dialogue. Like, and be almost naked while doing it. <laughs> they got Johnson baby oil and rubbed it into my body, he said. But you may remember that in that set, there are a lot of wood shavings on the floor. And as the takes Ooh. went by the, and the dust got kicked up, they were actually rubbing wood shavings as well as Johnson <laughs> baby oil onto my skin. Oh. So it wasn't quite as romantic as it would have seemed on paper. <laughs> Uh, I did Big. notice that um, their hair looked faintly like Marilyn Monroe. Mm-hmm. At least the you know platinum blondish color of it and, and short style, so that that would fit with Rimmer's subconscious, or Mary Magdalene, as he would say. Mm-hmm. But that's the thing. Like one of the big issues I had about this episode was it the setting didn't make sense. Like, it was supposed to be his subconscious, Mm -hmm. and, like, it was all these metaphors for what he was doing, but it it didn't really fit the way that Rimmer thinks, I think. I I would have thought that it would have drawn on, like, military history, or something like that. Well, but this is his subconscious. Yeah. Which is maybe a bit more wilder- by nature than maybe i don't know yeah i, I can see what you mean it's, it sort of jars 
with me a bit this whole episode, actually. But, um, yeah. Um, what was I going to say? That. Oh, no, hang on. I was going to say that when he is being dragged in, he asks mm-hmm. for the British Embassy. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And he is from Io, but do we just assume that they have the British Embassy <gasps> on there as well, or...? Interesting, yeah. <laughs> and the other thing I was going to say, sorry, I'm just looking at my notes now, um, <laughs> is that uh, the most easily terraformed planets are Mars and then the moons of Jupiter and Saturn, which are Ganymede and Titan. Oh, Ooh. nice. So, I don't know. <laughs> no, <laughs> Maybe yeah, that I was a non-brainer. A I don't know. <laughs> But um, yeah, but yeah, no, not at all. That's cool. But he is from Iowa. I didn't, so I, I didn't actually pick up on that. He was asking for the British embassy. That's yeah. We learned a little, another nugget about uh, uh, Red Dwarf universe. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. so, anyway. uh, let's see. So yeah, we get a, a bit of a tour of his weird, wild subconscious. Um, Swamp of despair. Frogs talking about how he's useless. Giant blood-sucking leeches that are his mom. <laughs> that are his mom. <laughs> Don't you just... but event. No, yeah, I, was, go ahead. I was actually going to talk about the st- particular scene when they're rowing the boat across. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I have a note here where it said that Cat uh, Rimmer and Lister are going to see the Phantom of the Opera. They are. Yes. Um, there was a little funny story on set that particular night. Hmm. Um. As they were they were rowing across the lake, propane gas forks were installed in the lake when lit appeared to be a, a streaks of flame rising from the water. Mm-hmm. During the shoot, Craig Charles decided it would be a good idea to light a cigarette on one of the flames. Of course no, he would. And moved the boat a little close to the fire. Of course huh. he did. Well, thank goodness it's not a wooden mm. boat. <laughs> and oh, one of the cast members at that stage couldn't swim. So he was absolutely petrified. Mm-hmm. Have a guess which of the cast members that was. Well, for irony's sake, we'll say that it was uh, Danny John Jules. Uh, no, it's actually um, it's actually Crichton. Ah, and there's a big s- and- there's actually a big clue actually in the episode because if you noted very very closely, Crichton is actually wearing armbands. Mm-hmm. I noticed that. <laughs> oh, I had not noticed that actually. <laughs> I just thought it was just something cute thrown in. So wait, they were actually rowing the mm-hmm. boat? Because generally speaking, on TV, I thought that they just pulled them with cords under the boat, you know, to make it look mm-hmm. like. I didn't realize that they would actually let Craig Charles row the boat into a gout of fire. <laughs> That's well, awesome. You know, they they make their actors work for their money. It's true. <laughs> they explode them and... <laughs> Talking of um, people, like boats capsizing and that sort of thing, well, of course the boat didn't capsize, so everybody was fine. However, writing director John Pomfrey was less fortunate. He misjudged the point where the land landed and the lake began and fell in, ah. taking two engineers nice. and some equipment with him into the water. Ooh. That's never good. No... So what um, I'm getting from this episode is no one was happy during the filming of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of tragic people, let's go back to Rimmer. Um, after, yeah, a bit of an aside, then we finally meet the master of that realm who is clearly an alien xenomorph from the Ridley Scott film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We barely saw that creature on um, screen. However, it was, actually, yeah. it was actually made as a proper creature. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, it was actually based on a design for... Um, and I told you we were going to get back to this, folks. <laughs> um, yeah. For the Sylvester McCoy era of Doctor Who. I can see that. I can see that. Especially since... It was obviously designed when it was designed for Doctor Who after the Xenomorphs from <laughs> Alien. 
Yeah, and then really the dragon in uh, Dragonfire from the Sylvester McCoy era looked a little like a xenomorph, mm-hmm. so I can, I can see where that might come back around. Um, yeah, it's an alien. Yeah. Oh, one other thing, actually. Um, did you did anybody like Cat's new yellow and black coat? I thought he looked like a Hufflepuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Hufflepuff. Well, that yellow and black coat is the same black and white one seen in Camille with the white per- portion completely coloured yellow with markers. Okay. okay. <laughs> Something to do, <laughs> I guess. I, I like to think that they had an intern that they were like, hey, hey, come here. <laughs> Here's a highlighter. Charlie, your job for the day. <laughs> Take this highlighter, go into an enclosed room with no ventilation, (laughs) and color this coat. We'll see if you survive. Now, now, it's no less than we would ask of our actors, who we routinely explode. Um, yeah. That's cool. Alright, so, we get an idea of what's going on here. Rimmer's self-hatred is attacking him. Literally. Which which it takes them for ever to figure out, especially considering that they deal with this kind of thing every other week. Yeah, and I mean, once you know that it's a Psy Moon, then I I think the rest should kind of fall into place a bit quicker there. Yeah, Um, just get Rimmer in a hot tub with someone massaging (laughs) him, and then you can just fly away. It'll be cool. Put on some Hammond organ music, and yeah. Um... And allow him to talk about uh, his chess journal. Or his risk journal. Risk journal. Yes. Risk journal. Um, I like the scene where Crichton uh, lists the reasons that people despise uh, Rimmer. Though the whole time I was like, dude, you're on a Simon. Right? Shut they, up. They should have figured it out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, the external shots, again, really look like Dagobah, especially with the ship sinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty, pretty straightforward reference there. Uh, luckily, Yoda shows up, uses the force to lift the ship out of the swamp, and they... Oh, wait, no. no, no. <laughs> and then makes um, Luke feel bad for no reason. <laughs> yeah. But finally, I think Holly, like, gives them the clues that they need. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, one of my notes here is, why haven't they gotten this yet? And Crichton's plan to test the theory by purposefully making the situation worse is stupid. Yeah. Well, he could have done that once, mm. but then said like just kidding you're actually really great and yeah yeah, Mm. that was weird but does anyone else really feel for rimmer he's he's so wants to be loved Mm. and (laughs) angel and i are often painted as rimmer sympathizers oh i love rimmer and yeah he obviously wants well he wants to be loved but particularly by lister i think you know? Yeah, although, you know, he would never admit that, but yeah. Yeah. He does. <laughs> he admitted it when he was, like, drunk. Oh, yeah, in, uh, what was that? Thanks, with the thank, sandwich thanks metaphor. for the memory. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes, yes. Yeah. But he... So they get into um, a weird conundrum there, because they have to make Rimmer feel better about himself, but they can't let on that they're doing that in order to escape, or... It, would just make the situation worse. So I wrote as it's sort of Faustian. Uh, Faustian in the sense that, you know, if he can redeem himself by doing something selfless, but if he were conscious of that, Mm -hmm. then he really couldn't perform a selfless act because he would be doing it to save himself. So they're sort of in the same boat. Yeah. 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 I don't know, but again, this scene is it's a bit jarring for me because they all go into, they say, well, Crichton says, oh, sirs, come into the back here. And Rimmer sort of stands up to go with them and they go, not you. And he just sort of, yeah, he just sort of goes, <laughs> well, all right. And sits down again. It's, well, I don't know. It's, it's just jarring for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he gets, he gets beat up more than he deserves. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I, I'm, <laughs> you just think he might ask a question, or just, but he just yeah. goes, "Whoa, yeah, fair enough." <laughs> yeah. so. and, and then you know the then the ship like shakes, like when they mm-hmm. tell him to just sit down. 
and he mm. can't join them. Mm. But, you know, eventually they get the job done with hugs all around, and then we come to a pretty cool scene where the Musketeers come to save the day. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> his self-confidence. And what, what were the other tra- uh, traits that came back from the dead? Uh, like self-respect or self-confidence or... Yeah. It was like honor. Not charm. Never charm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Generosity, self-confidence, humor, right. self-respect. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So they come back from the dead, and it's at this point that Angela and I start staring at each other because the soundtrack, <laughs> um, it is so familiar. Like, we were like, okay, what is this? What movie was this in? And I, we were like, for 10 minutes, we were like pulling up clips of 80s and 90s action movies trying to find what this was. Um Really, the closest actual match I found was um, Galaxy Quest, Mm -hmm. which was sort of a a parody of Star Trek uh, movies and and TV. And the the theme to the Galaxy Quest show is very similar. Mm -hmm. Um, Luckily, though, uh, Darren came through for us because I finally had to just throw this up on the group. And uh, he asked the Ganymede and Titan folks, you know, that show that we're not, <laughs> <laughs> and um, and found out what was going on there. Uh, the music that was used is called uh, Reach for the Stars. Mm-hmm. Um, it is by Richard Harvey, and it's just one of the stock pieces of, of go-to music. You'll see it a lot in previews and, like, sports documentaries and things like that. Whenever they need heroic music... Um, They'll, they'll reach for this one a lot. And so we probably had heard it before, maybe not in a particular film, but definitely previews. Yeah. So, yeah, that solved that mystery. Um, Young Indian Jones and, and Hercules are two that spring to mind. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I watched a lot of uh, Hercules. Angela's dad was obsessed with Young Indiana Jones. Yeah. So she's seen a lot of that. Um, yeah. So... Anyway, cool scene anyway, though. Uh, I, I, I think they like getting heroic Rimmer in any way that they can. Yeah. So he got to be heroic musketeer and shirtless oiled up. All the while they were claiming that he was just this horrible, horrible human being. Mm. But it ended up being a good episode for, you know, the actor's portrayal anyway. Mm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Okay, we've got a character who's dead, okay? And mm. now in two episodes on the trot, last episode, he was able to have sex. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this episode, <laughs> he is being um, rubbed with oil by two very, very attractive ladies. And sawdust. Yes. yes. Yeah, okay. Um, we've, got a, we've got a live crew member here who guessed nothing. So what, what is the show telling no. us about the future? Is it better to be dead? <laughs> well and I hope that, that Lister fans won't take this the wrong way I think what the show is trying to tell us is that um, is that, that Rimmer is probably a more interesting character and dynamic actor <laughs> he is um, a little bit I mean uh, insecure I, I, I don't I do, I do I'm uh, not hating on Craig Charles yeah but I, I think that that Chris Berry is a bit more versatile, and it's he's and they make a bit more interesting character out of Rimmer. Yeah, at this point in the series, for me anyway. Yeah, Lister tends to be slobby party guy, and there's not much you can do with him except just make slobby party jokes. Except for the last episode, yeah. he was very good in that. He was, yes. But it's sort of the, and that happens, you'll you'll get your series and your main protagonist, or the person that's supposed to be the main protagonist is your everyman, mm-hmm. and he's just some guy. Um, he's just some guy, you know? And eventually, yeah, the characters, the supporting characters that you spring up to uh, give him something to interact with eventually become more interesting. It's... It's Fonzie you know, syndrome. It happens. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Fonz was much more interesting than Richie Cunningham. Yeah. Hey... 
Kramer and George got to be much more interesting than Jerry. Yeah. Then Kramer went on to be really interesting after the show ended. Oh. Um, yeah, that yeah. was a tragedy. Um, yeah. And if you, if anybody out there watches How I Met Your Mother, then the main character, Ted, is by far the least interesting thing on that show. Oh, yeah. So, you know, it, it happens. But I think maybe that's what we're seeing here is they're finding ways to highlight Crichton and Rimmer because right now Lister is just not that interesting. And I think they have to find a way to make him more interesting mm-hmm. as the series continues on. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> hugs all around, they escape, and then there's a nice stinger there, I think. Yeah. Uh, when he, did you really mean all that? Just, no. no. <laughs> uh, um, it's mean, but it was funny. Yeah. <laughs> well, they can't build him up too much because then his ego will run away with them. Like, there's yeah, he just... Is, you know, if, if you give him an inch, he will take a mile. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just like he did with the um, planet that, uh, the wax planet thing that he gained military control over all of the wax figurines, then, yeah, yeah, he finally got his chance and he used it to kill everyone. So I think is the core difference between Rimmer and Ace Rimmer. Mm-hmm. Ace Rimmer doesn't really care what other people think. He measures himself by his own set of internal standards and thus is worthy of other people's respect. Yeah. Whereas Rimmer is always seeking approval, and the least little bit that he gets, he will try and use it to build himself up and lord it over others. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's incredibly childlike. He's just mm-hmm. constantly mm-hmm. wanting attention and, and, yeah, blaming people for this and blaming people for that. And, uh, yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what it is about yeah. this episode that just rubbed me the wrong way. Hmm. I wanted to enjoy the episode, but, like, well, the swamp metaphor, I just didn't think worked very well, Um, but I I was willing to sort of go along with that, but it just sort of felt like they've done this before. Like, everyone is saying this is an exploration of Rimmer Psyche. I think that's a fairly well-explored territory, and they didn't Mm. really add anything new. Mm. Maybe, maybe if it weren't in such close proximity to the hollow ship, yeah. Well, there's hollow ship in which there was an aspect of that, and then Inquisitor, yeah. Inquisitor, there was an aspect of that, and yeah. Judge yourself by your own psyche. Hmm. Well, anyway, that's what we thought about the episode. Let's let's do some feedback. Oh, do we have any we more like points feedback. from anyone? Yes, any more points at all? I don't. Uh. No, I don't think so. Cool. Well, let's check out the crazy feedback. We have like five feedbacks. Let's what? See. Sam pops up and says, A great episode. Best bits for me have to be either the tarantula bit at the beginning. It was funny. Lester and Crichton pretending to love Rimmer. Or towards the end when Rimmer's self-confidence and self-respect slay all the inner demons as pastel-colored musketeers. It truly demonstrates how far the crew have come along and that as much as they dislike Rimmer, they wouldn't just abandon him. Nine of ten, says Sam Highland. Thank you, Sam. Uh, Russ says, a very psychological episode, probably the first since Confidence and Paranoia. Uh, yes. I um, think that they've explored it in some other ways, yeah. but sure. I have to say that I think the best Red Dwarf episodes are the ones that mis- mix the cerebral storylines in the f- into the fold. Uh, very good. And Ewan says, A very good episode. Crichton's black box message is great, as, as is the Lister cat typing scene. The Side Moon was a great episode idea on the part of Robin Doug. Hmm. Uh, Darren says, uh, Again, Robin Doug show their superlative short sketch writing skills with the Turan Shula scene. As a social worker by training, I massively geek out at the exploration of Rimmer's psyche. Uh, this was directed by Juliet May, I think we've talked about a good bit of this, mm-hmm. who, while a very good director, had no prior experience with sci-fi. An incident during the filming of Crichton's sending off his rescue hand, Beacon, led to the cast losing faith in her and her being let go. A pity in some ways because the stuff she shot was, as pointed out by Craig Charles, visually quite good. Another very good ep in a very strong series, in my opinion. 
And then Darren says again. <laughs> uh, you want to read that, love? Uh, by the way, the silhouette uh, weapon the beast carries is the third option they had. Second option was showing the weapon on screen. The original option, well, originally the props department built the monster with a very pronounced phallus. <laughs> so, oh, Rimmer's the psyche comment wants about to the rape cat. himself? Is that what they were getting at? <laughs> yeah. With well, the... I think the less upset about that, the better. Very <laughs> Thanks, Darren. <laughs> Moving the hell on. Uh, so, uh, let's hear um, a quick word from one of our sponsors. My name is Lou Sitzma. I'm the one responsible. I introduced Karen to Farscape. She got sucked into the series big time. Now we're doing this podcast together. I've created a monster. Reviewing all 88 episodes and the four-hour miniseries. That's a lot of podcasts. At the end, will it be enough for her? It has to be. But the thing that scares me most? My biggest fear. Is by the time we get to the end... Hope we can make it. Will the two of us still be on talking terms? It could get ugly. Good thing the journey is sure to be a blast. Lots of great scaper conversations. Captured in these chronicles, so you can know... The wondrous things that we've heard. Put on your leather pants and reload your pulse pistol. I'm on another planet. What the frell? I hate this stuff. Chicks love it. Can I get a hell yeah? It's my duty, my breeding since birth. It's what I am. You can be more. Escape Cast, your guide to the wonders of Far Escape. Listen to the Scaper Chronicles at scapecast.org. We're back, and it is time to rate the episode. And Rosie, since you are our guest, you get to go first. Okay. I did like the episode, but I'm with Angela in the fact that it is slightly jarring and it feels like we've been there before. So I'm going to give it seven and a half out of ten oiled nipples, I'm afraid to say. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Um, yeah... Yeah, I really enjoyed the typing tarantula scene. I think all of my quotes come from around there. Um, the weird fan service for shirtless Rimmer was interesting. Um, but yeah, just the metaphor never came together and they didn't add anything. And then, I don't know, the episode didn't work for me in a way that I sort of wished it did. So I'm going to be giving this one a 5 out of 10 uh, pastel musketeers. Nice. I'll go next, if that's okay. Sure. Um, An episode with a really, really great start. Um, You've got the trench of the scene, which is hilarious. Mm -hmm. But it goes downhill very, very rapidly, mm-hmm. in my in, in my opinion. So, unfortunately, I'm only going to be able to give it five unspeakable ones. <laughs> I am um, I'm torn on this one. Like performance-wise, again, Chris Berry rocks it, knocks oh, it out yeah. of the park. You know, if I were just basing it on that, I would probably give it like a nine. But yeah, there's some plotting issues. There's a bit of repetition. Um, it didn't. It didn't bother me. I think as as much as it did uh, some of y'all. But um, especially as I see that the the metaphor of the swamp. I think our subconsciouses are a bit wilder. Anyway, that they're a bit uh, um, primal in nature mm. uh, for anyone. So I have no problem with that being a sort of undeveloped landscape. But yeah, yeah, that I had, there were some issues that, that I thought needed some work on this one. I'm going to give it a seven out of 10 knobbly things the shape and size of a Mexican agave cactus. <laughs> Which I'm assuming then is a reference to the original draft of the monster. Anyway. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, it is quote time. Everyone's favorite time. Um, Rosie, you get to go first. Okay. Um, how about... I say, let's get into the jet-powered rocket pants and Junior Birdman the hell out of here. <laughs> I didn't do the accent. 
It's fine. <laughs> I couldn't A superlative try. suggestion with just two minor drawbacks. <laughs> oh. I like that. I hope that they, that stays on as a recurring bit. It really works. Mm-hmm. To, to a nice comedy moment. Anyone else? Yes. We've got a visitor. What? A pod arrived 20 minutes ago. Something was in it, but it's broken free. Any ideas? Well, I don't want to spread any panic or alarm. What do you mean you don't want to spread panic or an alarm? Well, you've always had this thing against tarantulas, haven't you? Tarantulas? I mean, that you've never been overly fond of them as a species, have you? Well, no. And the prospect of waking up and finding one crawling over your clammy, naked, helpless body has always filled you with kind of a cold dread. Well, yeah. What are you trying to say to me, Holly? I'm saying it might not be your night. (laughs) (laughs) I I was in perfect sympathy with Lester. (laughs) And say she did do the accent. (laughs) Kind of. (laughs) Not Lester's, though. (laughs) No, 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 that's Heath's um, playground. <laughs> that that is surrounded by a fence. Yes, indeed. <laughs> um, yeah, but we won't go with that. We won't talk about that here. Um, we've got to tell him we love him. Ah, you're sick. I want no to part this depravity. <laughs> <laughs> okay, mine was. Um There's an old android saying, which I believe is peculiarly appropriate here. In binary language, it goes something like this. Zero, zero, one, one, zero, zero, one, one, one. (laughs) Zero, one, one, zero, 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 one, 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 zero, zero. Which, roughly translated, means don't stand around jabbering when you're in mortal danger. (laughs) Irony. And in no form of binary does that translate to that. No. That must be a a 24th century thing. Yes. They simplified binary. I guess so. (laughs) Okay. I'm second technician in the Space Corps. I'm brief to give you my name and number and nothing more. I don't know who you are or what you think you're playing at, but I'm not going to give you anything else. You can oil me up all you like. You can use your tongues and your full sensual lips to caress my erogenous zones onto a plateau of sexual ecstasy. But I'll tell you now, the nut's not for cracking. However, far be it from me to change your game plan. If you absolutely insist on using erotic persuasion to achieve your devious ends, then so be it. (laughs) Just have a large quattro for Maggio pizza with extra olives ready at the end. <laughs> that that was fun. Very much reminded me of um, you're in deep peril. Just a little peril. <laughs> no, too much too peril. <laughs> Which was anybody Monty else Python have another one? Shane? Yes? Any more quotes? I I was going to let our guest go first. Oh, well, no, only the one that made me feel most sorry for Rimmer, which is when he went, why are you being so horrible to me? Aww. (laughs) Aww. (laughs) But, yeah, that's it, I'm afraid. (laughs) This was not Rimmer's day. (laughs) Not at all. Well, we go right at the swamp of despair, despair, straight past the wood of humiliation, and go hard left at the chasm of hopelessness. You're a weird guy, you know that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what if the Simon I... had connected to any of the other crewmen? No, that would be, yeah, I would love to see Cat's Planet. Mm-hmm. That would be creepy. Um, I had, let's see. It's true. They really do care about you. (laughs) Only this morning you referred to me as a cancerous polyp on the anus of humanity. In a jokey kind of way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and another thing, I I felt like they were just using this as an opportunity to try out um, 
insults that they'd insults. come up with that hadn't made it into the script yet. <laughs> what? Surely not. Okay, well, speaking of, the next quote I had is a cheerful one. <laughs> is it not true that you despise yourself? That you detest your own incompetence and stupidity? That you hold yourself in contempt for your countless failures and disappointments? Is it not true that you feel nothing but the deepest, blackest rancor for that walking vomit stain the world calls Arnold Rimmer? Is it not true? Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> then things got a bit sketchy. I remember an explosion, then blackness. Then I remember Mr. Rimmer screaming. I have an image of his face twisted with fear, pain, anguish, dread, absolutely mortified. Does someone suggest you pick up the tab for lunch? <laughs> Have at you, bitterness Take that, self-doubt Die like the dog you are, mistress Feel my blade, loneliness May your foulness rot in hell While heroic music is playing in the background And driving us crazy <laughs> But Darren saved us Yay, Darren Yes, he did are we all there at quotes? I think so. Any more? No. For any more? No, I'm out. <laughs> all right. Well, in that case, we are about to wrap this one up. Tell us, Shane, what shall we be... Oh, wait. You know what we haven't done? Told people how to contact us. Mm-hmm. So if you want to contact us, you get on the <laughs> Facebook group. And uh, you go to the Red Dwarf intro cast. If you want to talk about spoilery stuff that Angela and I can't listen to, then you go to the spoilers group on the Facebook uh, you can also um, <laughs> uh, Twitter at us at twitter.com slash reddwarfintro and there's of course the Gamail, which is the Red Dwarf podcast at gamail.com uh, so finally Shane if you will tell us what is our homework for um, next before week we there, uh, before we go there before we go there we've got one other thing to plug oh yeah. plug away Angela your Sherlock Holmes podcast Yes, it will come out someday. (laughs) (laughs) We're actually waiting. Um, It's somewhat... uh, Tabs is setting up the RSS RSS feed. Mm -hmm. And she's had a lot of trips and work things and so on and so forth. So, yes, it will be coming out at some point in the near future. I will post it on the Facebook group but it's called Through the Pages of Sherlock Holmes. It is. And it is a, an intro reading cast, kind of. Um, oh, yeah. Kind of like a book newbie. club with, without the uh, nasty snacks and awkward conversation. <laughs> yes. So, next week. Next week, our episode is called Quarantine. Or Quarantine. <laughs> quarantine. Oh, my darling. Oh, my Who's going to go into quarantine? quarantine. Well, we've had, like, comments about quarantine before. Let's see. Possibilities. One member of Red Dwarf will have to go into quarantine. Or, something will determine that humanity itself, or humanity and cat-manity and Mm -hmm. crite-manity, are a danger to the rest of the universe and put the Red Dwarf itself in a super-quarantine uh, that they have to figure out how to escape. Mm-hmm. Um, but that would indicate alien intelligence, which is something that the show has not done yet. So maybe it's... Uh, I don't know. They usually leave androids running if they need something to do that. Yeah. Or mutants. Um, but yeah, maybe like a planet uh, that they go to that's automated or something, and it decides that everybody on Red Dwarf is dangerous and has to be put into quarantine, and they'll have to do like a, um escape thing. Like a... Oh, what's the movie, sweetie? Dum, 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 dum. Uh, dum, 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 dum. I, I, I don't know. The Great Escape. Yes. Yeah. They'll have... Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I blame Brank. Angela's seen a lot more old movies than me. Yeah, <laughs> so that's my theory. They're all in quarantine and they have to do a Great Escape thing. Yeah, I don't know. I think one of them is going to be in quarantine. And, um... I, I I sort of want them to do an episode where they're just all on the ship. Like, yeah, nice. sort of a season one, season two type, more, you know, just about the characters and not about 
going to a planet or having a robot come or <laughs> I'm starting to get tired of the um, series of crazy off-world things that cause things to happen and more things. Third possibility. They come across a quarantine zone in which something sinister lurks and they accidentally free it because they're stupid. True. Like the polymorph. But I'm still going to stick with my first theory, which is that they're all put in quarantine by some outside force. Or Holly. Holly could quarantine them because Holly goes crazy. No, no, no. Outside force. Outside force. Yeah. Because it would be funny for Holly to be in quarantine. Yes. So that's my theory. We'll, we'll find out next week what the quarantine is all about. Thank you for joining us, Rosie. It Thank has you. been a it's treat. Been Thank you for coming on. And thank you all for stopping by. We will see you next week. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye.